Welcome to what will likely be a thrilling episode of Down Ballot Counts. I am, of course, not Kyle Triggs' dad. We'll get to him and Greg Drew in a second. Instead, I'm podcast producer David Schultz. And today, the day before the 2020 elections, I'm going to turn the tables and interview Greg and Kyle about what this entire election cycle meant and how they're going to be watching the results come in tomorrow night. If you're doing any last-minute planning for the big day, don't worry, we've got you. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look... House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. So we're recording this on Monday morning. We've got about 36 hours or so until polls start closing and results start coming in. So we thought we'd do a bit of what we're calling a pre-mortem. We're looking at what all this means and what we can expect. And so let's start with the big picture Greg and Kyle, what are the overall takeaways from this election cycle these past two years? Why don't we start with Greg? Um, what are the driving factors that shaped the way this this cycle played out? Well, I think my first takeaway is that there's enormous interest in this election. and There should be a high voter turnout, uh, maybe one of the highest we've seen in a while. Um, Trump, President Trump, never got his approval rating above 50 percent, and he's been uh, that's hampering his reelection bid, but it's also uh, making him a drag on Republicans down ballot, the races that we watch very closely and the races for the Senate and the House. Um, just as he was a drag for Republicans in the 2018 House elections, his uh, poor approval rating threatens to uh, overturn the Republican majority in the Senate, which is at risk, and uh, Republicans may even lose ground in the House when they began this election cycle thinking that they could have a strong shot of winning the chamber back. So I guess I expected Republicans to make a strong effort to win back the House two years ago, and Republicans probably began this cycle as a favorite to hold their majority in the Senate. Uh, right now, I think the Democrats are probably more likely than not to win control of the Senate, but it's still we still have a lot of races that are uh, really close to call. But yeah, the pandemic and healthcare were the dominant issues in this election. The economy and jobs are always major issues. But um, I think Trump's handling of the pandemic and his poor approval ratings on that on that score have really uh, made it difficult for his party in, in those down ballot races. Well, Kyle, it sounds like what Greg is saying is that you know the dynamic here is kind of similar to the way it was in the previous cycle from 2016 to 2018, and that Democrats are kind of clawing back a lot of what they've lost. Um, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, it, this election, just like the last one, is uh, a one-issue election. Trump. Trump is the issue. And uh, if you've watched him over the last two years, it's like he learned nothing from the midterm elections when his party got walloped. And he's just missed opportunity after opportunity to help his party, um, you know, from handling the, the pandemic um, even even something as simple as his speech at the Republican National Convention it was one of the worst speeches I've ever seen politically. Like he had an opportunity to reach out to voters who were maybe still on the fence, maybe still cutting him a break for for how things have gone with the pandemic. And but he didn't reach out to them. And he's done that time and time again. And it's been honestly bizarre to watch. Well, let's talk about the pandemic, because, you know, obviously, it seems like it changed everything. You could just, you know, if you're writing a, a, a history of this election cycle on the back of a napkin, you'd say you know, there's before pandemic and after pandemic. But I'm wondering if actually there are some things that were already in play before the pandemic just continued and didn't really change. You know, I'm not sure because, well, certainly uh, liberals uh, and Democrats at large, they're um, 
uh, antipathy towards the president has not changed. Um, but I think the independents, the people who were, you know, thinking about which way they were going to go, um, I think that has changed big time because um, it put everyone, it put this, it put Trump in everyone's living room. Whereas, you know, before the pandemic, the economy was was going fairly well, just broadly speaking. Um, and that was his greatest strength. And all of a sudden, he didn't even have that. Yeah, I agree. The pandemic just made uh, made this election really personal and really visceral for a lot of people. It's changed everyone's everyday lives. It's as personal as you can get. And as Kyle noted, uh, you know, Trump had a much better Trump had a much better showing on the economy. His approval ratings on the economy have always been higher than his approval ratings on handling the pandemic. And I can't help but think if uh, the United States had a more robust strategy for containing the pandemic, that uh, Trump very well could be uh, at least running even or maybe even a little bit ahead of Joe Biden right now and might even win re-election. And because we've talked about on this program how much uh, presidential voting is linked to down-ballot voting in Senate and House races, uh, the better that President Trump had done could have saved a he could have done a better job of uh, uh, saving his Senate Republican majority and possibly giving House Republicans a shot at winning the majority. But because of his handling the pandemic, Republicans may lose their Senate majority and they have no chance of winning the House majority. So all of the data or nearly all of the data that I've seen has pointed to Democrats having a really big night tomorrow night. Um, and not just the data, but also the guests that we've had on the show, even Republican leaning guests have said it's going to be a really challenging year for their own party. What if it's not? What if it turns out that Republicans actually do better than expected uh, tomorrow night? If it, that happens, if let's say the president is reelected and uh, the Republicans keep the Senate, what would that look like and what would have to happen for for that outcome to to uh, transpire? Well, uh, Greg, why don't we start with you? Well, if Trump is reelected and Republicans hold the Senate, I mean, we'll basically have kind of two more years of what exactly we have right now. So Republicans in split government, Republicans in charge of the White House and the Senate, although that Senate majority would probably be narrower. I think Republicans are going to lose a net gain in the Senate, uh, whether or not that's enough for the majority, we'll find out. But yeah, we'll have uh, a very closely divided Senate, uh, probably another uh, prescription for gridlock again, because you uh, certainly will have a Democratic-controlled House. But if Trump is reelected, first of all, uh, a lot of people are going to be wondering about the polls again. We thought we had this discussion in 2016 when uh, Hillary Clinton won the national popular vote by two points, and a lot of people were questioning the quality of state polls. If Trump is elected president tomorrow with his big deficit in the polls, it's going to be one of the most colossal polling mistakes in modern American history, something on the on the score of 1948. So it would be a, I mean, he still has a chance of winning, of course, but it would be a real, even more stunning, I think, than maybe his 2016 election, if that's possible. So Kyle, if uh, if Trump wins uh, uh, tomorrow night, is it Dewey v. Truman part two? Well, we're, we're going to hear a lot about um, ballots and um, rep- and the court fights between Republicans and Democrats um, over ballots being thrown out and the legitimacy of uh, vote by mail and um, all the behind the scenes uh, drama that that goes on. We're going to be hearing a lot about that if uh, if Trump wins. Uh, uh, Democrats are going to be pointing out a lot of places where maybe um, ballots were undercounted. All right, let's talk about campaign fundraising, because uh, as we heard recently uh, from our uh, wonderful colleague, uh, Emily Wilkins, um, there was another record that was set this year uh, or this cycle. And, uh, you know, more money was raised uh, for campaigns than any any cycle since the last one, uh, when that was also a record uh, was set. 
so I guess it just seems like every cycle there's more and more money involved in politics. The records just keep getting broken every single time. Is there any limit to this? Are are we is this just going to keep going up or is are we reaching a ceiling to how much money can possibly be spent on political campaigns? Well, there was there was a perfect storm uh, of events this year um, with Trump's handling of the pandemic, um, with RBG's death, um, and just Trump in general. Um, someone who I think a lot of um, Democrats uh, were af- really truly afraid of having another four years of. Um, all those things combined um, led to just an onslaught of fundraising, especially since RBG's death. Um, and so I wonder if there, the enthusiasm could possibly stay as high uh, in in the next two years. Um, we'll obviously find out. But um, if Trump's not in the picture anymore, does is that enthusiasm still there? Because, you know, you look at Obama in 08, he had you know, record-breaking fundraising. And then in 2010, what happened? Democrats didn't turn out. Um, independents turned turned away from the Democratic Party. And, you know, they didn't see nearly uh, the success that they had seen in the previous two elections. So um, I, I think it's definitely possible that we don't see this kind of fundraising next cycle. Greg, do you think there'll be a, a never-ending arms race in terms of campaign fundraising? Or do you think, uh, like Kyle mentioned, that, you know, things will, will kind of, uh, you know, Uh, calm down, I guess, uh, in uh, the next cycle. Yeah, there were a lot of unique political factors. I think that turbocharged fundraising all goes back to Trump again. I mean, just one of the most polarizing political figures in modern American political history. So I have a hard time seeing um, some of the numbers we reached this cycle being matched, uh, say, in 2024. 2022 is a midterm year of the next election, which is going to begin the day after this election, of course. Uh, I don't think you'll see the fundraising like that in a midterm that you would for a presidential. But four years out uh, for the next presidential, I think it will depend on uh, you know the issues at stake in the country and the personalities involved. I think this is just a, a very unusual, unique election, and there were a lot of things going on that Kyle mentioned that really uh, accelerated a lot of these uh, fundraising, uh, a lot of these fundraising wars. But for you know Senate and House fundraising, I mean it's it's just stunning what some of these candidates were raising. I I have a hard time imagining people raising $58 million in three months like Jamie Harrison did, or $30 million, which is what several other Democratic candidates for the Senate did in the third quarter. I don't know if that's going to be a a hallmark of future Senate campaigns. It's just, uh, I think this was just a very, very unusual and unique election year. All right, finally, let's talk about tomorrow night. Um, You know, we were talking about this before we started rolling, but you guys are going to be up all night uh, tomorrow night, probably uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but for people who maybe don't want to stay up uh, all night, uh, myself included, uh, but you do want to get a sense of where the Senate is heading before you go to bed, what races would you say we should look at uh, that might be called relatively early or early-ish tomorrow night that can give us a sense of whether Democrats will take back the Senate or will not? All right. First, I want to plug Greg has a great story on this coming out uh, tomorrow morning, um, early on election morning. So um, he's got about a half dozen races you should be watching. I'm going to um, pick one, uh, the Georgia Senate race between David Perdue, the Republican senator, a freshman incumbent, uh, and John Ossoff, the Democrat. Um, Ossoff, of course, had that record-breaking uh, fundraising in the special election in 2017 for a suburban Atlanta House race. Um, he ended up losing it, but it kind of uh, set the scene for 
you know, the Trump administration Democratic fundraising. I mean, he raised, I think, $30 million for a single house race in the middle of 2017, um, something we've just never seen before. Um, but he's taking on David Perdue, someone who's um, who I covered in 2014 when he first ran for the Senate, followed him around uh, Georgia a little bit and definitely wrote about that race a lot. I'm very interested to see uh, what that looks like. I think Ossoff has a chance to win that outright on election night. Um, there is a libertarian candidate in that race. And so if no, no one gets 50% of the vote, at least it'll go to a January 5th runoff. But if Ossoff can somehow win that on election night, you know it's going to be a really good night for Democrats. Got it. So watch the uh, Ossoff race. If they call that on election night, then it seems like the Senate's pretty much in the bag for Democrats. That's right. What about you, Greg? Are there is that a, a race to watch? Are there other races that you know might get called early that can signal like where the you know night is heading? Yeah, I agree that if Ossoff wins that outright, that would be a major coup for Democrats, and certainly would augur well for them as they try and overturn that Republican majority. They need a net gain of three seats if they win the presidency. So Georgia has a seven p.m. Eastern poll closing time. That's not to say that we'll know early in the evening, whether whether it goes to a runoff or someone wins outright. But those early poll closing states are ones to watch. Georgia, which has two Senate elections. The other one we know is going to go to a runoff in January. South Carolina Senate race, the polls close there at 7 p.m. It would be a colossal upset if Jamie Harrison were to defeat Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham. I still give Graham the edge there, but expect a close race there. But we also have some states that close at you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock, uh, 8 o'clock, I'm looking at Maine. Big question there is um, if no one wins the majority of the vote there, Maine uses a ranked choice voting system to determine a winner that basically looks at the votes that are second place votes that are cast for the back running independent candidates. And it can take days for that to happen. So if Maine is close, that could take a while to count. And then we've got states like uh, Iowa and Montana that close at 10 p.m. a little bit later in the evening. Uh, so I'm watching those as well. But I think I think that Georgia Senate race that Kyle mentioned, the Ossoff Purdue race, is probably the the top one I'm watching early in the evening to try and get a sense for which way the political winds are blowing in those Senate races. All right. Well, we're gonna leave it there. Uh, but before we go, you know we're not gonna leave you hanging without a parting shot of trivia. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, our listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review last week's question and answer. If Joe Biden wins the presidential election, he'd become the latest chief executive who previously served in the United States Senate. And my question was, how many presidents have previously served in the Senate? And because that's kind of a hard question to pinpoint a specific number, I'll give you four choices. 12, 16, 20, and 24. Kyle, what do you think the answer is? I'm going on the low end, 12. And I know I, I don't have to answer this, but I will, and I will say 16. 16 is the correct answer, David. Yes. Well done, David. The first was James Monroe, and the most recent was Biden's former boss, Barack Obama. And now for this week's question, we should know by this time next Monday if we have one or two Senate elections in Georgia in early January, as we just discussed. Question, in what state and in what year was the most recent Senate runoff general election? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We will post the question as a Twitter poll with four choices. I will give the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of Down Ballot Counts. That was a lucky guess, uh, and, and I think Kyle is feeling very sad about himself. Crushed. 
All right, that'll be it for this week. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg government's parent company, sought the Democratic nomination for president. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. Be sure to check out all of our great political coverage at our website, about.bgov.com. Follow Greg and Kyle on Twitter tomorrow night and definitely tune in next week for our analysis of all the craziness that is certainly about to come. Until then, best wishes. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. I'm Siri Belusu, and I'm Amanda Icone. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from what Congress is working on, to legal rulings, to the global digital tax debate. Download and subscribe to Talking Tax wherever you get your podcasts.